This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, Andrew. How are you doing, Monica? I'm great. I don't have to worry about ending up in the Hunger Games again. Well, I just found out that I have to go fight there for the second time. Wow. I thought the whole deal was that if you won the first time, you didn't have to do it again, but apparently they said something about wanting more money? I, I don't know what the deal is, but... Is it because it's a sequel? <laughs> yes, this is the sequel to my, my near-death experience. I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is episode number 74 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie The Hunger Games, Catching Fire. As always, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher, and email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail at 336-793-2509. We would love to hear from you. If you're new to the program, basically this is the show in Film Geek Radio focused on in-depth discussion of mainstream blockbuster films. We are here to satisfy your addiction to quality conversation about the movies and even each week, we release an episode in two parts. The first part, which you're listening to right now, is a 10-minute long spoiler-free review of the movie. That way, you can get an idea of what we thought about it and whether or not it's worth your time to check out. And the second part is a much more analytical discussion that does contain spoilers. So if you've already seen The Hunger Games Catching Fire and you would appreciate that type of conversation about what works and what doesn't, definitely listen to part two. Before we get started, Monica, I just wanted to go over a little bit of feedback that we got from a listener about our 12 years a slave. Oh, snap. Uh, we got an email from a listener named George, uh, who was writing in about 12 years a slave. He had not seen the movie yet uh, at the time when, when he um, sent us this email. Uh, I thought it was very interesting, some of the things he said, considering he had not yet seen the film uh but but anyway here's what here's just some of what he had to say george wrote in and he said quote movies about racism tend to have two things in common they're set in the past either in the civil rights era or the slavery era and they're set in the south audiences are left with the impression that racism happened a long time ago and in only one part of the country it's not something we need to think about today a movie about racism in more recent times, like Spike Lee's New York set Do the Right Thing in 1989, makes people very uncomfortable. They don't want to hear that bigotry is, is a contemporary ongoing problem. Mm -hmm. They want to think we've conquered that. They want to see a movie like The Help, which allows white viewers to feel smug and pat themselves on the back because they would never treat black people like that had they lived in the Deep South of 50 years ago. Mm. Anyways, I just wanted to uh, read that on the air because I thought he brought up some great points. And, and, and some of the stuff, some of the same concerns that I had about 12 Years a Slave after seeing the film and that we talked about more in uh, part two of our discussion with Craig Lindsay. So I'm now I, I want to know what George thought about 12 Years a Slave. Check back in with us, George. <laughs> Yeah, because I was actually worried about some of that myself, that maybe the film is a little bit too distant and maybe liberal white audiences will be able to just pat themselves on the back and be like, oh, man, yeah, slavery sucked, but we're over it now. I, I just thought that was uh, interesting. Do you have any thoughts? No, I, I totally agree with that, that it generally movies about racism in America tend to be very much part of either the civil rights era or before that. 
and they're stuck in the South because it never happened in the North ever, ever, ever. Right. I think you disagreed with me, though, about the extent to which 12 Years a Slave might yeah, have some of I problems. don't believe it's every director's duty who covers this topic to then tie it into the future. If he wanted to make a story about the past, he should be allowed to make the story about the past. Now, whether or not, you know, he does like an end scene like Martin Scorsese did with uh, Gangs of New York and ties it to like the modern day fight for survival in New York, you know, someone else can do that by all means. This should not be the end all be all of the conversation. Well, yeah, George, thanks for writing in. Uh, let, uh, write in and let us know what you thought of 12 Years a Slave. Uh, I'd be curious to know uh, if, if you thought it had some of those same problems or if it was able to overcome those issues. But uh, let's move on to this week's film. Uh, we're going to be talking about The Hunger Games Catching Fire. Monica, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners what this movie is about? Sure thing. This film was directed by Francis Lawrence. Catching Fire is the second film of the Hunger Games series. Following the events of the first film, Katniss, played by Jennifer Lawrence, and Peeta, played by Josh Hutcherson, are required to go on a victory tour through all the districts. When their actions aren't enough to convince President Snow that they're loyal servants of the Capitol, he decrees that this year's Hunger Games contestants will be chosen from the pool of previous winners. That means that both Katniss and Peeta are back in the arena, forced to battle 22 other people to the death. And this time, the future of a revolution hangs in the balance. Here's a clip. The presidential palace, the party of the year. Right, chins up, smiles on. I'm talking to you, Katniss. Now, there'll be photographers, interviews, everyone will be here to celebrate you, my victors. Breathe it all in, children. This is all for you. It's cozy. Attitude. So, Monica, what did you think of The Hunger Games Catching Fire, and how do you think it compares to the first film? I've always liked the premise with its social critique of how we consume and create media, but I have not read the books, so the movies have been my introduction to the story. But with the addition of this new director, Francis Lawrence, I think it's cleaned up the series a lot. It looks better directed. It doesn't look as cheap or messy as the last one did. And I just adore Jennifer Lawrence, and I think everyone should be on that boat. <laughs> she really carries this film. I will agree with you. Jennifer Lawrence is amazing in this movie, and I just feel really bad that she doesn't have a better Hunger Games franchise <laughs> to star in, because I wasn't a huge fan of the first film, and while I do think that this second one, Catching Fire, is an improvement, overall it's just not very memorable to me, and it feels, it feels very safe. Yeah, especially with all the revolt stuff that's going on, and then they really try to keep it to a PG-13 rating, and even though there's supposed to be, like, public executions in the square, we're sanitized from all that. I actually have read the books, and while they're not very well written, 
uh, pieces of young adult literature. Is there any young adult literature nowadays well written? Well, I mean, if you compare it, if you if you compare it to something like Harry Potter, okay, I would say Harry Potter is fairly well written. I would agree. The quality of the writing of the Hunger Games series really, really isn't very Just good. Just as long as it passes the Twilight bar. Uh, I haven't read enough of Twilight to be able to comment on that. Um, I read it as a joke, like a dramatic reading <laughs> sort of thing, and it was bad. I couldn't get past a <laughs> page and a half without laughing aloud. Well, the Hunger Games, as you mentioned, it, they really do touch on some pretty mature, heavy themes. I mean, the first one's all about kids killing other kids. It's all about this... Uh, dystopian society where people are oppressed and there could be a revolution and it's about war and how war can really traumatize people and change people some pretty adult subject matter and i found the books pretty intellectually stimulating in many respects they're kind of a critique of media culture they're a critique of capitalism to a large extent it almost strikes me as a young adult action-packed version of Karl marx's (laughs) That's capital. Capital, <laughs> yes. <laughs> In some respects. And the thing about the movies is just that they feel so safe. They feel so watered down. They just they just feel like really sleek corporate products just designed to appeal to an existing fan base and bring in money. Well, and it doesn't help that they have so many corporate sponsors and tie-ins. I know one website that I was browsing had like a top 10 offenders list of corporate tie-ins for the Hunger Games, and the number one was the CoverGirl line of makeup that they have. Right. Because a lot of it's like representing the 12 districts, and these are all the, most of them are poverty-ridden, exploited places. <laughs> and they all have, the black color is like, coal from the coal mine districts of District 11 or something. It's really bad. (laughs) Right. It's only the capital and the really rich districts that would be able to uh, afford CoverGirl makeup. And they're kind of like the bad guys. So yeah, it it does almost feel like a pretty hypocritical film in that it's this big budgeted, mass-marketed film about the evil of corporate power and and, and government power and the media to a large Mm -hmm. extent. And I will say, I mean, if you you go into this film just looking for, well, how well did they adapt the source material in the sense of, did they include everything? Uh, As far as I can remember, yeah, the movie pretty much gets in everything that's in the book. So if you're just looking for, like, what is there, it's a success. But in terms of how engaging it is, how intellectually stimulating it is, it really didn't engage me much Mm. at all. I came away wishing that director Francis Lawrence had been willing to take a few more risks and had been willing to let, to really let certain moments just kind of sit and breathe and let the audience feel and reflect uh, on everything that's happening and, and what this subject matter is really trying to get at. Um, it just it just feels like a very very safe film. I mean, you've got James Newton Howard's score playing all the time. Oh, I would agree with you there. That was overdone. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's not a bad score. It's just it's everywhere there constantly. Saturated yeah, like just in that score. It's just reminding the audience. Oh, by the way, yeah, this is when you're supposed to feel something. Feel the feels, kids. Feel the feels. It doesn't trust the material to bring in the audience and, and to make the audience feel mm-hmm. things. That's really my main problem. It's not a bad movie, and it is an improvement over the first film, but it's not very good either, and it, and it just seems kind of like a very stale, watered-down version of the source material. 
That's unfortunate. I, I really did enjoy the improvements because the last, well, the first one, I saw just a few days before seeing the second one, and wow, that was some bad camera work, and it just looked like it was so <laughs> cheap. This one they invested a lot more money in, I take it, because the first one made yes. so much money, and they gave this other guy a try, and I think it paid off. Yeah, this one has a much higher budget than the first film. I think the first film had a budget of like $30 million maybe, and this one has a budget of $130 million. Well, it shows. You know, the flames don't look like someone's screensaver that put on top of Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, visually, it's it's very well done. You're right, the action direction, I think, is much improved. There's not quite as much shaky mm-hmm. cam. Oh, no, excuse me, I, I just looked it up. The production budget of the first film was around $80 okay. million. So this one's around $50 million more. Yeah, that shaky cam, I wanted to punch the cameraman for it because that was... Most of it was uncalled for. They would be sitting down in a room, and they're shaky cam! I don't understand! I do think that the first half of the film is probably better than the second half, uh, because the first half is when the film really is trying to explore uh-huh. issues related to the media and the cult of celebrity. I was just about to defend the film on that front. <laughs> right, right. Like, the first half, it's not great, but I would say it's it's good. The second one's basically a retread. Yeah, it's a, basically just a remake of the first film. It's, hey, we're back in the arena killing each other. Yeah, it's just a different setting. Ooh, look, we made a tropical. I will say, that though, that there are some pretty incredible actors in this movie. I kind of yes. feel bad that they aren't given much to do, considering all of the talent. So is this like the Harry Potter syndrome, where you have, like, pretty grade-A actors out there? Yes. Enjoy your three lines and three million dollar check. <laughs> You've got Philip Seymour Hoffman as the new game maker, the guy in charge of The Hunger mm-hmm. Games. You've got Jeffrey Wright. You've got Jenna Malone. You've got... Elizabeth Banks. Right. Well, yeah, Elizabeth Banks is Woody back. Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson. Stanley Tucci. If you want Lenny Kravitz, if that's your thing. Yeah. He's got some rockin' gold liner. It's all good. I will say one thing that I do think the second film improves upon compared to the first film is that the supporting characters feel a little bit more fleshed out. They mm. feel like they're given a little bit more to do. They're not quite three-dimensional characters, but I did feel like they were at least archetypes. Yeah. Whereas in the first film, it was mainly just, oh, look, there's these other tributes you have to kill. And they're just they're kind of all the same, yeah. just nameless, faceless individuals. Yeah, I think it was good to flesh out the other tributes or so from the other districts this time because you felt empathy for them and they were all kind of just stuck in this horrible situation. But along with that, you also got to explore a little bit of uh, Hamish. Mm-hmm. Hamish's past, which is uh, Woody Harrelson, so a little bit more on his background and like why he drinks to sort of like dull the pain and that he's actually friends with all the other older tributes and things like that. And even Elizabeth Banks' character, she turns out to not just be a puppet for the government. She has feelings and she's very upset when Katniss and Peter are dragged into this again. Right. So overall, I do think it is an improvement over the first film. Uh, I still think that it could be a lot better. Third time's the charm. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll see. And it'll be interesting because Mocking Jay, it is being split into two films, as is the thing to do these days, apparently. Yeah. And it's a much different book from the other two. I've heard very mixed reactions about it, and I haven't read it for myself, so I don't know. Should I go ahead and read it 
I got a year or something before the next one. Yeah, I mean, the, they're really quick reads. It'll take you a couple hours to read each one. Okay. They're very, very easy, quick reads. So, yeah, I, I would say if you're interested, go go ahead and read uh, Mockingjay. I actually, I liked Mockingjay a lot. Just in terms of sort of some of the stuff that it delves into, but I'm not sure if again I, I'm I'm doubtful as to whether or not the films will be able to communicate that. But mm. we'll uh, we'll have to see. Anything else you want to say about the Hunger Games before we talk spoilers? I'm gonna save my feminism thing for next episode. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, that we will I think be able to have an interesting conversation about Atness as a uh, feminist icon. It's kind of hard not to. She's just such an exciting character, but we'll save it for next time. All right, well, that'll wrap it up for part one of our episode on The Hunger Games Catching Fire here on Cinema Fix. Don't forget to tune into part two for a much more in-depth look at the film, and don't forget to tune in next week when I believe we'll be discussing Old Boy. Ew. We'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to us through iTunes and Stitcher. So if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the program. Uh, you can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including The Thin Place, The Nerdy Projectors, and our two new TV-themed shows, uh, The Briefing Room, which is all about the third season of Homeland, and The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast, which is all about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Monica, where can people find you online? People can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at mcastymovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. They can also find my work reposted on the Boston Online Film Critics Association website at bufca.com. I'm the managing editor of moviemezzanine.com, and you can find some of my TV criticism at pathios.com. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castillo. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!